Thank you, choir, for that. The choir has sung about the story that we're going to look at today and telling us that this is God. And that's why we come together to celebrate Easter Sunday morning because of the power of the resurrection and the empty tomb. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. At my house, there's something that happens uh, pretty much on a, on a daily basis. Uh, how many of you have dogs? We have two dogs. I have an old grumpy dog, all right, and I have a little yippy dog. Anybody have little yippy dogs? All right, very, any cat people in the house? Okay, I just wanted to know who to pray for. Thanks for that. <laughs> on that. Now, we have two dogs, and uh, it's amazing. My, my dogs are professional sleepers. That's what they do. They sleep anywhere all the time. One of them snores, so we have to have a fan on in our room so that we can sleep because the dog snores so loud. But they sleep all the time. But there's an amazing thing that happens every day. All we have to do is mention the word mail. Just mail or mailbox. And the little one, Maggie, will jump up from wherever she is and she will run to the front door. And she will hop up and down and almost just like you think she's going to have a heart attack or something. She's so excited to go to the mail. So you open the door and she runs straight to the mailbox and then it takes forever to get her back in because the mailbox has lots of smells on it, if you know what I mean. She's just like smelling those smells, which is weird, but that's okay. But she's so excited about the mail. It got me to thinking this the other day. When is the last time that I have been so excited about mail? And I can tell you the answer is never. I've never been that excited about mail, especially as an adult, right? Because as an adult, what's in the mail? There you go, bills. Yeah, we're not excited about those at all. And then if it's not bills, what is it? Junk. There we go. All right. So that's what we get. We get bills and we get junk. But there's some pretty, there's some pretty I'm going to say this word, amazing junk mail out there. And maybe you've gotten some of the same junk mail that I have. There's one in particular that keeps coming. And they do a real good job of masking it as junk mail because it looks real important on the outside. And you open it up, and it begins with something like, Mr. Holloway, this is the second notice that we've sent you, which already makes you kind of go, oh, I messed something up a little bit. And then they go on to tell me about this uh, car warranty that's going out that I never purchased and I certainly don't need. I will just tell you that. But it just it catches your attention just enough to think, oh, my goodness, what, what is this? Do I, do I need this? But here's the whole point of this this piece of mail that I get. It's a piece of mail trying to convince me that there's something out there that I absolutely have to have. But the truth is, is I don't need it. One, because I already had one. And two, because some of the other cars are so old, I'm like, no, those don't need anything except to die. You know what I mean? Some of those cars that we have. But this mail is pretty convincing because sometimes it sticks out and it makes you think, wow, there's something out there that, that I need and it's, it's not something that I already have, but the truth is what the choir's already sung about and what we're talking about today is the fact that everything that we ever need in life, we have because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that we need in life, we have because the tomb is empty. We talked about this a little in the weeks leading up to Easter is that we, we look at the cross as we should as Christians and we talk a lot about the cross as we should as Christians, but the power comes in the resurrection. The cross is simply a reminder of what happens when God walked among men. Men killed him. The empty tomb is a reminder of what God can do in his power. And so I want to 
point out to you the story in Colossians as Paul writes these words to tell us a little bit about who this God is that we've sung about, who is this is God that we've talked about this morning. This is what it says in Colossians beginning in verse 15. Talking about Jesus Christ, Paul writes these words. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. Meaning right there off the start that if you want to know what God looks like, what it means for someone to be God, you look at the person of Jesus Christ. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Again, the power of the resurrection is the fact that in all things, Christ holds them all together by his power. Verse 18, he's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That's why we have hope. Because Jesus has overcome death in the grave, we have hope that we, too, will overcome death in the grave because of what he's done. So that he might come to have first place in everything. There's something to think about. What place does God have in my life? Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his dwellness, all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, we're constantly trying to be convinced that there's something out there that we need. And the truth is we have everything that we already need because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross and through his death and through his power over death in the resurrection. You see, we've, we've got this separation that has happened when it talks about that through him we can be reconciled. Some of us might think, well, what is it that needs to be reconciled? What do you mean reconciled in my life? Well, Paul goes on to write, and he, he puts these words here in verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy faultless and blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. You say, what, well, what do you mean he, once we were alienated, once we were hostile? It means that there was a point in time when in creation, God created each and every one of us to walk in relationship with God and to be with him. But sin has separated us from that relationship. Well, wait a minute. I don't know that I buy into this whole sin thing that you talk about, Pastor. Well, let, let me say this. When I look back on my life, can I just tell you, when I look back and I think about my life and I think about the regrets that I have in life, and I have some, and I would imagine that if you're breathing, you have some. When I look back and I look at my regrets, I can pretty much take m the vast majority of the regrets in my life and I can attach them to a relationship. Most of the regrets that I have in my life have a face and a name that go along with them. Someone that I have 
known in my life that I either wish I could apologize to or wish I'd have done something different or maybe I wish I wouldn't have said that or maybe I wish I wouldn't have done that or maybe I wish I would have done something different. And maybe you think the same thing. And there's oftentimes in those relationships when I think back at them, I have this longing inside to go, oh, if, I, if I at least didn't have a do-over, maybe I wish, I, I wish things could be at least made right. And to be honest with you, there's some things that I've done in life or some things that I've said in life that have alienated me from people, that have made me hostile toward people or them hostile toward me, and it's my fault. So I just stand up here and confess that to you. As the pastor, there you go. It happens. And we all wish we could have a do-over at times, but we don't. And so there is a need that I understand in my life for reconciliation. I, I understand what it means to be reconciled. I understand the fact that sometimes we do some things that separate us from other people. And the truth is, is that the sin in our life has separated us from a perfect and holy God, this God that we've been singing about, this God that overcame death and the grave, and he is risen today, and that's why we celebrate. That's the person we need to be reconciled. And God has already done everything that we need to actually be reconciled. This is what this verse is talking about. Now, this is what's amazing. You see, anytime that there needs to be reconciliation, somebody has to take the first step, right? Somebody has to reach the handout. Somebody has to make the connection to go, hey, we need to make some things right here. There's some things that are going on that shouldn't be going on. or There's some things that have happened that we need to address. But this needs to be reconciled. And so that's why we celebrate today, is that in the person of Jesus Christ, God took that first step to reach out to us and to say, let's be reconciled and let's restore things to how they should be. You see, because God reconciles, I'm reconciled when I choose to follow Christ. I have everything that I need. I don't need an extended warranty on life. I have everything that I need in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ. You see, in 2 Corinthians, Paul even writes again, starting over here in verse 16, he talks more about this idea of reconciliation. He says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even though we've known Christ from a worldly perspective. Yet, now we no longer know him this way. He's talking about now that we understand the resurrection, we don't have to think of Christ in a worldly way. He says, verse 17, therefore, this is good news. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, listen to this good news, not counting their trespasses against them. And as he has committed the, re- the message of reconciliation to us, he's given us this message to share with others. Verse 20, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled. To God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
That's a wonderful story. And that's why we celebrate this power of the resurrection is because the whole purpose of it was so that we could be reconciled to God, so that we could, again, have a relationship with God. Well, Pastor, what do you mean? Well, to understand this fully, you have to go all the way back to page one of the Bible. Now, don't fear. I'm not going to preach from there all the way to where we are today. I'm just saying that you have to understand that in the beginning, the whole Bible begins by saying in the beginning God created. And it tells us a story of how he created the heavens and the earth and how he created everything on the earth. And it gets to day six. And in day six of that creation story, it tells us a story of how God created mankind. And how he created each and every one of us in his image. And he created us and he gave us everything, everything else that he created. He said, it's all yours to go and to go enjoy and to go subdue and to go work and, and, and just be a part of my creation. And in doing so, God created us in such a way that we bring glory to him and we bring joy to ourselves by doing the exact things that he created us to do. But somewhere along the way, we became convinced that there was something else that we needed. That, there, that this wasn't all, and, and maybe we got deceived. And that's why I kind of hate junk mail so much is because it's hard to tell, is this real or is this not? And a lot of times we run into things in our life where we go, is this real or is this not? And we get deceived by things and we get led away. And that's the story that you see in Genesis chapter 3. Where mankind was in the garden and it says that Eve was deceived by the serpent. That she took fruit from the tree that God said don't take fruit from, and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband, who was right there with her, by the way, before men think you're off the hook. He was just standing there. And it says at that point in time, then they understood that they had sinned, and they were then separated from God. And because of that, it broke our relationship with God. And the whole Old Testament just tells this story of mankind trying to do everything that we can to restore this relationship with God and ultimately everything falls short until the person of Jesus Christ. Until God himself says you can't do it. You couldn't do it in the first place. You can't do it after you've broken it. The only way that this is going to happen is for me to reach back to you and say let's make this right. And he did that in the person of Jesus Christ. We already had everything that we needed but we were convinced that we needed more and so we sinned, and we separated ourselves from God. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear a story like that, I don't necessarily separate myself from that and think, I can't believe they did that. I kind of hold that up and look at a mirror and go, I can see exactly why they did that. Because so often, there's so many things in life that I think I need more than I need God. And there's so many things that I think that I can do better if God would just listen to me. <laughs> That's a fun conversation sometimes. God, if you just listen to me, this would go a lot better. He probably looks going, really? You think so? And so we tend to try to take things over on our own. And so therefore, we sin. And we do things that are dumb. And we hurt people. And we hurt ourselves. And, and when we do that, we tend to have this, this reaction that makes us not want to run toward God. It makes us kind of want to run away. Because none of us like to stand up in front of someone and go, okay, you were right and I was wrong. And so that's why God did everything that he could to demonstrate his love for us. You see, there's a verse that we share here often. It's Romans 5, 8. And the verse simply says this. It puts it all in a nutshell. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't deserve it, while we didn't do anything to earn it, Christ died for us. He made the way 
so that we could know him. Now, some of you may have been around church enough to go, you know, Pastor, I hear this story all the time, and, and I see through reading out of the Bible, and, and, and I just I, don't, I can't put it all together. I don't understand how this all really works or how it's relevant for today, or I'm not even sure that what you're saying here is, is actually even true. Can I just tell you, awesome, I'm glad you have those questions. And I would just encourage you to keep digging into those questions. But I'm going to let you know a little thing that helped me understand how this could possibly be true. And it really was beginning to look at not just the Bible, but the people in the Bible. You see, I began to understand that that these disciples that proclaimed to to follow Jesus, when you look closer at them, you begin to understand that there there were three years that they walked with Christ and that they were here with him on earth and he was doing all these miracles and all these great things and they walked with him. But when you look at the last week and even in more particularly in the last day, which we did last week here, if you want to watch that message, you can go on our website and see last week's message. But here's what we see. There's something pretty incredible that happened. In the last day of Jesus' life, in the last 24 hours, these men who had walked so closely with Christ, and they had in their mind what it meant to walk with Christ or what they wanted him to do. But things started going different, and here's what they did. Here's how they reacted. One of them betrayed him, sold him out for 30 pieces of silver. One of them denied him as he stood there in the garden with a little girl coming to ask him, don't you know this Jesus? No, I don't know him because he was scared. It says the rest of his followers deserted him at this point in time. And here's what we don't see in Scripture. We don't have a good reference point where we can go to to understand what did they do from the time that Jesus was arrested to the time that he rose again. But what we understand is that many of the writers and many of the scholars believe that what the disciples did was probably what you and I would did. They ran and they hid because they were scared. Because the person that they had been following for all this time, the person that they had put their trust in had now been not only arrested, but they'd been crucified. And they started putting two and two together going, well, if that happened to him and they find out that I was with him, well, what do you think is going to happen to me I'm probably going to get killed as well. So it says they went and hid. Now, why are you telling me this, Pastor? Why do you say that this convinces you? Because we know this side of history, what happened. We know that the tomb is empty. We know that Jesus Christ rose again, and it says that he went to his disciples and he spoke to his disciples. And then we see the rest of this book, the New Testament if you will, telling the story of these same men who deserted Jesus and who denied Jesus, now standing in front of the masses and saying, yes, I was with him. Yes, I saw these things. Yes, he's Lord. Kill me if you want to. And most of them died for their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to die for something that I don't wholeheartedly believe in. I'm not going to put myself out there for something that I think might cause me harm unless I'm absolutely, positively sure that it happened and it was right. That's why we celebrate today. Because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus Christ did rise again. Because he did those things so that you can be reconciled if you will follow him. It is true. It is real. He is risen. That's why we're here.